0: And uh, tonight, we're going to be continuing through the talk series we've been going through called Encounters. Encounters. Um, we're diving into the Gospels. We've been diving into the Gospels the last five weeks, seeing these eyewitness accounts of what happened when people encountered Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ, they called the Christ or the King. Um, but tonight, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a low-key reason why we're calling it Encounters, and, and I'm going to let y'all in behind the the behind the curtain. I'm going to let you guys in behind the scenes for a minute. See, the reason we call this Encounters is because it's our secret hope, it's our prayer here as staff at Crew. Uh, We have this conviction. We believe that Jesus Christ is still alive today, that his Holy Spirit is in the room tonight, and we don't just want you to have a nice talk tonight. We don't just want to dive into scripture and talk about what happened 2,000 years ago when people encountered Jesus. We want you tonight to encounter Jesus right where you're at, right here, right now. That's our prayer, that each and every one of you would leave here having had an an encounter with the living God. That's our prayer tonight. And tonight, as we dive into this encounter that happened with a couple of groups of people and Jesus 2,000 years ago, Uh, There's a question we're going to be asking. There's a question that each and every one of you is going to be asked tonight. You're going to have to work through it. What do you see when you behold Jesus on the cross? Who and what do you see when you behold Jesus on the cross? We're going to be talking about an encounter that happened 2,000 years ago when four parties, four groups of people encountered Jesus in his last moments as he was taking his last breaths. But before we do that, will you please pray with me? Jesus, Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would encounter each and every one of us. I pray that you would bring us before the cross. I pray, God, that each and every ear would hear you tonight. Each and every heart would experience you praying over them, even and especially from the cross. I pray it in your name. Amen. Okay, well again, I, I told you guys, we're going to be talking about an encounter in Scripture uh, that happened um, while Jesus was on the cross. We're going to be, if you've got a Bible, uh, I know a lot of y'all have a Bible or are going to want to look it up in your phones. We're going to be in Luke chapter 23, but before we actually open up the encounter, uh, I want you guys to have some context for what's going on. So we're going to rewind the tape we're going to be in luke chapter 23 and we're going to be starting in verse 32 but before we start reading there i want you guys to know what's going on so i'm going to take you to 24 hours before this happened see 24 hours before he was crucified almost to the hour jesus was sitting down with his disciples with his students with his his closest relations these were like almost his sons or his brothers these were his dearest friends there were students, his disciples, and he had what they called his last supper. That's what's become known fam- or named and famous for. That's the name that we've assigned at this last supper of Jesus. He was having a Passover meal with them, and he looked at them all, and he said this very clearly. He said, hey, guys, I want you all to have this heads up. In 24 hours, I will be crucified. In 24 hours, I will die, but I want you to remember this. No one takes my life from me. I am laying it down for you. You can read a really specific, very detailed version of what this discussion was like in the Gospel of John between chapters 14 and 17. Because John was literally the disciple. He was the person seated next to Jesus. And back in the ancient world, they wouldn't sit down at a table. You would literally lounge on the floor. So literally, John is shoulder to shoulder as Jesus says, hey guys, in 24 hours, I'm going to die. And then he says this, no one takes my life from me. I'm laying it down for you. In 24 hours, I will be crucified. And when I am crucified, remember this. I am laying it down to kill your sin, to kill your shame, to take your guilt, to take your fear and your loneliness. I'm taking it all on myself, and then I'm taking it to the grave with me and then I'll defeat death. But remember when I die, no one takes my life from me. I am laying it down for you. In the middle of the meal, uh, one of the disciples got up and Jesus looked at him and said, hey Judas. And they made eye contact and he said, friend, if you've got to go, do what you need to do. In that moment, Jesus was making eye contact with Judas, who most of y'all will recognize was about to betray him. Judas was about to run off and tell Jesus' enemies where he was at so they could kidnap him in the middle of the night. At this moment, Jesus is making eye contact with him and basically says, Hey, if I wanted to, I could tell the others to grab you right now. If I wanted to, I could tackle you myself. I could stop you right here, right now. But no one, you least of all, Judas, takes my life. He calls him friend. He says I'm laying this down even for you and so Judas leaves Uh, he goes and tells these religious leaders uh, called the Sanhedrin also sometimes called the Pharisees and Sadducees that's what they called themselves uh, where Jesus is at and so in the middle of the night they kidnap him, they beat him they abuse him, they spit on him they disgrace him publicly being spat on was the most uh, public form of disgrace in an honor shame culture uh, that Jesus was living in they spat on him And then they took him and in the middle of the night, all through the night, they put him on a mock trial and for hours all through the night kept him up, beating him and spitting on him again and again, shaming him again and again and constantly bringing what is known as false testimony against him. Now, you might have heard that phrase, don't bring or don't bear false testimony if you recognize the Ten Commandments. Uh, It's one of the Ten Commandments, one of the holiest Jewish laws and in the middle of Uh, this kind of mockery of a trial where they're just trying to uh, discourage and insult Jesus as much as they can before they kill him. A couple of them give what's called mock trial, or or, sorry, false testimony in the middle of this mock trial. Uh, and, And again, if you've read the Ten Commandments, you probably read this, you shall not bear false testimony. Now, when we read that in 21st century America, a lot of times what people will tell you that means is don't lie. And that's not completely wrong, but specifically what the Jews had in mind when they said it's one of God's ten greatest commandments, one of the core and hearts of what it means to follow God's law, to be a religious Jew, a religious person following after Yahweh. When they said what it means that you cannot bear false testimony, they were talking about in the court of law, in religious court of law, bringing up false facts about someone or misrepresenting their words. If you were caught bearing false testimony in the middle of a trial, all the person had to do was pull out a piece of scripture or clarify what they said and defend it biblically, and instantly the trial would flip. It would stop being their trial and it would become yours because you were on death's death's door. You were about to be killed yourself for bringing false testimony against someone. At any point over the course of this long Mock trial. Jesus could have turned at any of these false testifiers, pulled out a single verse of scripture, and ended the trial immediately. But he kept it going. He didn't say a word. And what he was telling them with his silence was you do not take my life from me. I am laying it down for you. My accusers, my insulters, my abusers. No one takes my life. In the morning, uh, after he was exhausted and spit on and shamed all night, they dragged Jesus before the governor, Pilate, because they needed uh, secular governor's approval before they could kill him. And in the middle of their testimony against him, Pilate just pulls Jesus aside. Jesus is quiet the entire time. He pulls him aside and he says, Are you going to say anything? Because I can already tell their testimony isn't adding up. All you have to do is tell me that they're lying and I'll believe you because I don't believe them already. Just tell me, Jesus, I've got power in this, in this court. I have ultimate power. All you have to do is tell me you're innocent. I'll believe you. I'll let you go right now. And Jesus looks Pilate in the eyes and says, Pilate, you are so afraid. You've lived your whole life in fear of what people think of you. No one takes my life from me. You, least of all, have power over me. I'm the son of God. He says, my kingdom's not of this world. I'm beyond you. He says, they can't take my life from me. You can't take my life from me. I'm laying it down to kill your fear. Pilate freaks out because Jesus reads his mail. He runs out the room and gets a message from his wife. Someone delivers a message straight from his wife which says, leave the jewish man alone i've been suffering all night i've had dreams and nightmares i haven't been able to sleep all night and every single one of my dreams said that you're about to put a jewish man on trial stay as far away from him as you can because he's the son of god and Pilate freaks out because he's a good husband and he knows wifey's always right (laughs) side note gentlemen in the room wifey's always right um And if your wifey comes and tells you, I've been dreaming all night that this this man's holy and anointed, and if you have anything to do with his death, all of history is going to remember you as a coward, you should probably listen. Side note, you should probably listen. So he really freaks out. He starts trying to find any way to keep Jesus from dying. So he comes up with the solution. In the middle of the trial, Jesus won't say a word. He could get out of it at any time, and he knows it. But he's laying his life down. So he says, okay, you know what? If I scourge him... Maybe then they'll leave him alone. So he says, okay, okay, here's the deal. I'm not going to kill him, but I'll, I'll let you scourge him. So he sends some of his soldiers out, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, watch as Jesus is scourged. The Roman scourging had three phases. The first, you were stripped. And so they stripped Jesus naked and publicly objectified him. They publicly molested him. Then they took clubs and beat him, and beat him, and beat him. And once they were sure that he was thoroughly beaten, to the point where he couldn't walk stably, then, and only then, they went to the third phase. They pulled out what they called cat of nine tails, whips covered in bone and glass, and they thrashed him until his disciple Matthew says in his gospel, in his eyewitness account of what this scourging was like, he said he was beyond human recognition one of his own disciples one of his dearest friends couldn't even recognize him through the blood only then after he brought him out did Pilate say okay see he's been scourged are you okay but the Jewish leaders these Sanhedrin still said crucify him and when Jesus still would not speak a word because he was laying his life no one could take it from him Only then did he wash his hands, which was his symbolic way of saying, I'm not touching him, but if you want to kill him that bad, he's yours. If he won't speak up, then he's yours. And so then they took him up this hill called Golgotha, which means the skull, and they nailed him there to a tree to suffocate slowly and die. When you were crucified, the way you died, why it was so cruel, is literally as you hung there all your weight, all the weight of your body would fall straight on your heart and your lungs. And you were suffocated slowly until your heart literally was crushed and melted. Slow, brutal, and painful. And in the middle of this crucifixion, these four parties had an encounter with Jesus. Jesus, who was not having his life taken, but who is laying it down for them. Open up to Luke chapter 23. We're starting in verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left, and Jesus said, some of your translations will say, but all Jesus said his Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the rulers, that's the Sanhedrin, those Pharisees and Sadducees, they scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he's the Christ, God's chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine. They said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged, railed at him. Some of your translations will say blasphemed or screamed at him. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Save me. Save us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation and we indeed justly we're receiving the due reward for our deeds we're receiving what we deserve but this man's done nothing wrong and then this criminal said, Jesus remember me when you come into your kingdom and he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me. Today you will be with me. You will be with me in paradise. There are four parties that encounter Jesus as he's being crucified. Four groups. The first are the Romans, and they are very practical. The Romans were very practical people. It was a practical culture. These were Practical guys just doing their job. All they saw was another man dying on a tree. Just another historical figure. Just another religious guy dying on a tree. That was all they saw. They were practical. They offered him some sour wine. They played around with him a little bit, but they didn't try and look too hard. They were gambling for his possessions, for his garments, trying to distract themselves as long as they could. And they were trying to distract themselves, we know because Luke goes on, They didn't want to take too close of a look at this Jewish man. They didn't want to take too close of a look at Jesus on the cross. There was one of them who took a second look. As Luke goes on in the narrative, there's one of them that takes a second look. See, the rest of them were distracted. They were distracting themselves. They didn't want to listen to hear what he was whispering under his breath, praying for them. Even though you kill me, I forgive you. Father, forgive them. I'm taking this all on, so I forgive you. You don't know what you're doing. Only one of them bothered to listen. Only one of them bothered to hear. He later pierced Jesus' side after he died for him. And saw the blood and the water of his melted heart, his heart that melted for us, for him. And in that moment, as he pierced his side, the earth started to quake and a storm rolled in. And the entire world, all of creation, groaned. And he realized this was the son of God. But the others, the practical Romans, didn't want to take a second look. They tried to distract themselves so they could convince themselves this was just another historical figure Dying another death. There's a second party, a second group, encountering Jesus on the cross. The rulers, the Pharisees, Sadducees, the religious people. And these were very good religious people. These were your nice people. These were good-looking people. These were fun people. And they were very, very religious. They went to church or they went to temple every Sunday. They read their Bibles sometimes came to crew. Yeah. These were the good folks. And they looked good. And because of that, they felt good until Jesus showed up. See, for three years after Jesus showed up and started to preach and teach, he asked them these questions, these questions they really didn't like. He challenged them and called them to things they really weren't comfortable with. He started to ask them, hey, if you love God so much, why aren't you holy? If you look so good on the outside, why are you okay justifying your inner sin? If you look so godly on the outside, if you're so religious, why aren't you serving and sacrificing for the poor and the lost and the needy? If you know God so much, why aren't you sharing him with those with orientations and politics and views and ideas that don't look like yours that would never encounter him? If you're so religious... Why aren't you holy? They hated that question. So when they couldn't shut him up, they tried to kill him. They put him up on a cross. They would rather be religious and comfortable. They'd rather kill God than give up their comfortable religious lives. And as he was there hanging on the cross, on the tree, they shouted up at him. They said two things to him. The first thing they said was, he saved others, can't save himself. And then they said, come on down here. If you're really the Christ, prove it. Come down to our level. Come down to our level. They were referring to two things. See, the first thing that they were referring to was a week before. See, less than seven days before this Jesus had walked up in the middle of a funeral of his friend named Lazarus. He'd walked up in the middle of a wake three days after Lazarus had died and in the middle of the funeral walked up to the grave and said, Lazarus rise, death has no place where I am. I have power over death. No one can take life while I'm around here. And he got up in front of hundreds of people. They knew he had power over death. They were challenging him Hey, we know you've got power over death. You had power before. Come on. Come on down. Meet us. Come down to our level. See, the second thing that they, what they really wanted, where they were goading him and screaming at him, was because they wanted him to force them to come to his view. They wanted him to coerce them, because that was their only way that they thought you could be convinced of something. The only way they could ever understand life and power was a taskmaster God who forced them to do things. Because their entire life was religious. It was about rules and regulations. They had no understanding of a God who could relate with them, of a God who was alive, of a God who loved them. And they were so busy screaming to him, come down to us, come down to us. They couldn't hear him. His whispered prayer with his last breaths, I forgive you. Father, forgive them. I'm taking all your insecurity on myself. I'm doing this for all your hidden sin. I'm doing this for all the comfort that you're going to that's never really satisfying you so you can know something real. Father, forgive them. But they couldn't hear him. There's a third party. Uh, The first of these two criminals, tradition tells us he was on his left, he was on Jesus' left, and he looks over at Jesus And he sees a solution, a potential escape. See, he's dying, and he knows it. He's got minutes to live before he can't breathe anymore. He's got minutes before his blood runs out. And he starts screaming at him, screaming, get me out of here. Get us down, and then I'll follow you. Fix this, and then it'll be better. Fix me, fix this, take care of this, do this, and then. I'll follow you. And then we'll all follow you. He was so busy screaming, demanding that Jesus fix his circumstance, he couldn't hear Jesus, who was right beside him the whole time, saying, I love you. I'm doing this for you. I'm going to heal you. I'm not going to fix this, I'm going to heal you. There was only one party that actually listened to Jesus on the cross that day. One person who bothered to listen to his whispered prayer with his last breath. The second criminal, which tradition tells us was to his right. He listened to this man who with his last breath wasn't saying, get me down, get me down. I got to get out of this. How do I fix this? with his last breath, was saying, I lay it down. I'll take it all. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. And he looked over with what little life he had left, with the few minutes of life he had left, he looked over and he said, Jesus, I deserve this, but please remember me. Associate with me Please, let me at least be known by you. Probably not worth you knowing, but please let me be known by you. And he's the only one who can listen. He's the only one listening, so he's the only one who heard Jesus saying, Truly I tell you, really I mean this. You will be with me. You're mine and I'm yours forever. I will be with you. You will be with me in paradise. There are four parties in this room, four parties that Jesus is trying to encounter. Some of y'all are being practical, some of you have been practical. You've distracted yourselves. And you've wondered occasionally, maybe even, what can some random dude who died 2,000 years ago do for me? Take a second look. Take a second look. You will see a God who changes people's lives forever. You will see someone who can do miracles. You will encounter the living God, the answer to all your riddles. You will encounter Jesus, the Son of God, crying out I love you. I'm the answer. Take a second look. There's a second group of us in this room. I say us because my spirit tells me there's at least a couple in this room who are very religious. We look good, we talk good, and because we can fool other people, we feel good, at least for a moment. But when Jesus actually walks into the room and calls out that hidden sin, oh, uh, well, I can't, I can't give that, that up. When Jesus calls you to holiness and says, hey, yeah, those people who have a different orientation from you, a different political view, a different ideology, who look different, different skin tone, different culture, why don't you love them? Oh, uh, well. When he calls you to mission, when he calls you to go, well, well it's good, I, I'm, I'm, I'm good and religious, but you've never given him lordship. In fact, when he's pushed, whether it was through a discipler, whether it was through reading his word, whether it was through other friends, maybe it was through a talk here at Crewe, you ran away, you'd rather put him on the cross then let him be your Lord. And you've told him, "Well, just just convince me, just make me feel comfortable with this." Well, well, uh, maybe, you know what? I'll do it later. I'll do it later. Well, maybe when you come down and meet me on my level, then I'll believe you, then I'll really follow you. then I'll let you be Lord. And you've been so busy. Putting him up on that cross and telling him to come down to your level, you've never bothered to hear him say, I'm doing this for you. I died for you. I beat death for you so you could have something real, so you could know me. The living God, not a religion, the living God. There's a third party in this room. You're desperate. You're dying and you know it. And you've been screaming at God. You've been praying. You've been calling out to him. Save me, save me, save me. And then fix this. Change that person. Change this circumstance. Shift this in my life. Give me clarity on this and then I'll follow you. You've been so busy demanding and demanding and demanding from Jesus You've never listened. You've never surrendered. You've never silenced your heart and let him say, I want to heal you. We can talk about them later, but I want to heal you. We can talk about that situation later. Yes, I'll get there. Don't worry. But let me heal you. I came for you to know me. I came to heal you. You're demanding You need to surrender. There's a fourth group in this room, and I pray, whether it's for the first time or for the hundredth time, each and every one of us in this room experiences what it's like to be in this fourth group who listens, who beholds Jesus on the cross, sees him, and listens to the king, saying, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. There's one last note I I don't want y'all to miss. It's something this criminal realized right before he died, something that he understood that so many of us miss. He only had a couple minutes left to live. Uh, No matter what Jesus uh, did in that moment, he was not about to give this guy his best life. He was three minutes from death. He was not about to, to unlock this guy's secret potential. He was not about to make this guy have some crazy adventure or change the world through this random criminal. A lot of us think that Jesus died so we could do something, so we could accomplish something, so we could, we could achieve something or, or make something with our lives. And he would love to do that. But that's not why he died for you. That's not why he laid down his life for you. This man in his last moments looked at Jesus and said, please just remember me. He said, please just remember. Please just be associated with me. Please just know me. I want to be with you. And Jesus tells him, he promises him, truly, I promise, I'm telling you, You will be with me. You are not a human doing. You are a human being. And the secret to all the riddles, the answer to all your prayers is not what Jesus is going to do with your life or what you're called to do. He saved you to be with him eternally. And for that, even with his dying breath, As he took your sin, as he took your shame, as he took your fear, as he took all of your darkness on himself to the point where it literally melted his heart. As he took it to the grave, he prayed over you the same prayer he prays over you every moment since before you were born. I forgive you. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I pray for each and every soul in this room. I just pray that we'd have an encounter with you tonight. Lord, I pray, God, that we would not leave this place the same. I pray, Lord, um, wherever we are at, whatever party we are, Lord, I pray right now in this moment that you would still every heart, that you would open every ear, To hear you saying, I forgive you, I love you, I took it for you. I just pray that we would receive that, God. I pray that we would be with you in life, now and forever. I just pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.